0: Hi, I'm Shasta Bell of Shasta Bell Calligraphy. And I'm Mikaela Marie Manu of Ink and Press Co. And welcome to the next episode of Cultivate.
1: In our episode today, we are going to be tackling the big question of how to find and attract your ideal client. But first, we have a little moment that we want to answer a listener question. So Shasta, why don't you take it away? Take it away. Yes,
0: we asked a couple of you. Actually, we asked all of you on Instagram if you had any questions for us. And so many of them were really juicy, big topics, like really good things. And we're going to make some of those into episodes. But one that's a little bit shorter was tips giving guest instructions on opening envelopes with liners so basically do you tell your guests how you communicate to guests how to open their envelopes especially if they have liners um i've had a problem with this with one uh i think it was her parents opened up her invitation and they were like really bummed that they wrecked the liner and i think they
1: use a envelope Cutter opener, like those yeah. old-fashioned ones where it like yeah. slices it at the
0: spine. <laughs> it's so fancy. What I mean, what's your answer for that, Makayla? What would you do?
1: So, I mean, guests are always going to do what guests are always going to do. There's no way you can go to every guest's house and control this. Mm-hmm. But I have found that if you include a wax seal, that typically cues your guest to open it from The bottom peeling upwards. Um, If you don't include a wax seal, I think guests kind of just rip it at the spine. Mm -hmm. But if you do a wax seal, I feel like that is a good clue to your guest. But at the end of the day, they're just going to do what they're going to do. Yeah, i I
0: think one of the one of the components is what kind of glue or do we use to seal them. That's true. Yeah, and for me, security is paramount. So what I don't want is that envelope flap flipping up or unsealing or humidity or something causing that to open in any way. That would be pretty exciting. So So, what uh, do
1: you use to seal it? I love the advanced tape glider. Same. I knew that answer already (laughs) (laughs) because I'm like over here. Same. But they have those two adhesives. They have the... $5 adhesive and they have this $7 adhesive. Which one yes. do you use? I am I am the
0: strong is made for wood and metal person. That yes. is me for sealing For envelope liners, sometimes I use the other one because you don't need as much. I agree. Strength, but I'm a security first person, so I use <laughs> what do I
1: the- use the $5 adhesive for envelope liners and then the more expensive one. Maybe it's $10 now. Yeah, but there's there's off. the two like one is red and one is yellow. <laughs> yeah. The red one is is outer envelope. Exactly. Yeah, and I use the stronger one for for envelopes too. <laughs> Maybe in another question we'll
0: talk about uh RSVP envelopes, especially handmade ones and like DIY glue.
1: Oh, yeah, I have a whole I mean if people want a quick answer to that, I have a whole highlight on my Instagram account with yeah. envelope glue. Um but yeah, we'll come back to that. Yeah, I really do want to dive into today's topic though. So, Like we mentioned before, the topic of the episode today is how to find and attract your ideal client. And I love that this is the next progression in our Cultivate podcast, because like Shasta said at the beginning of the episode, a lot of the listener questions kind of surrounded this topic. And I think many people are wondering how to find your ideal client how to attract a higher paying client, how to connect with your client. And so this is a great first question and something I think that is so monumental and foundational when you're starting your business. It's on, the big question. It's the big, yeah,
0: big How do one. I get people
1: to pay me? How it, I mm-hmm. view it less as like clients and more. How do you get patrons to support your art? Oh, I love that. Yes.
0: That's a really good way of framing it. It is very stressful, I think it can be yes. it's a question that I get asked often from uh people who I have mentor calls with, and like we said in previous podcasts, we are not experts, we are not gurus, but we can share our story, we can mm-hmm. share our experience and things we've noticed that have worked for others and not worked and and so on and so forth, so kind of like survivorship bias some some of these things like They worked for us and they might not be the right fit for you, but it is great to have some things to go off of. And a lot of the things that we're going to be sharing can be applied no matter what market you're looking for.
1: Yeah. And I love that because as kind of a second quick caveat, this is what worked when we started our businesses, but I started six years ago and marketing strategies changed when I started my business, Instagram Reels and TikTok did not exist. not a thing. No. And so if I were to start my business today, that would totally go into play on how I, you know, found my clients and kind of marketed and Mm -hmm. engaged with people online. So like Shasta said, this is, you know, how we found our ideal clients, kind of our thoughts and our little soapbox moments on it. But obviously, you know, take all of this information and kind of hybrid it with, maybe even like current research, market research on how Mm -hmm. you feel it's best, because no answer is a one size fit all. But this is still really valuable, concrete, tactical, not tactical, but tangible, practical information, tangible, practical together, one word. Yeah. Yep. That you can (laughs) use for your business. (laughs) Well,
0: and I love what you said. Um, It made me think the, the first thing I thought of when we were talking about what we should talk about today was when we landed on this subject, I thought, oh, diversify your sources. It is, it's not a one size fits all. One of the keys is there are many different ways to attract clients. Mm-hmm. There, there's not one way. And the the phrase that came to mind was this takes time. And I think that's what's yes. so difficult when you first start. It's very hard when you have that initial passion, that drive to, just begin starting slow and starting well is incredibly difficult when you have all that energy to just create, and it can be very discouraging when clients don't come flooding in and you think it's never going to happen. This takes time, and those who take time to build up their client base and their method methodology for finding clients well have a solid foundation if you grow too fast too quick, that mm-hmm. can be another conversation, but if you grow too fast too quick. You're not going to have the requisite experience, mistakes made, the wisdom that you're going to need to serve your clients well. So starting slow is actually a very good thing.
1: Yes, I love that. I didn't even think about that in the context of this, but it is so true because there are I can think of actual people. Like when you said, if you grow too fast too soon, I can give you a list of people who I know that exact same situation happened to. They had a video or reel, a TikTok or something blow up. Mm -hmm. They grew overnight, but in a way they did not have the business foundation and they were kind of just tossed to the sharks that are couples and clients, you know? And you're, yeah, it's... It can be brutal. Like your couples can be be really brutal, and if you don't have your contract in play, if you don't have your business set up, if you don't have your client management set up, Mm -hmm. there is a thing as growing too quickly. Yes, and I do love that you pointed that out. That it is—it takes time, and guess what? It is supposed to take time. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's to grow consistently to grow slow. It is a good thing.
0: It is, it's kind of like flowers it, or when I'm thinking of gardening, it, when you give something too much fertilizer or you let something go too crazy, it ends up growing a little weird. So mm-hmm. I know like with flowers, if you're not intentional about pruning, like too much food and energy goes in the wrong places and the blooms don't turn out the way you want. So you like pruning it and letting it grow slow and maybe it's not going to look as full at first but it has better uh, stems, better roots, better foundation. Because what you don't, you don't want to burn. Here's another metaphor. You don't want to burn burn out, burn bright and burn fast and burn out. Yes, that's real. And and you if you want to build a sustainable business, finding clients and working out the kinks of your business with clients who are who can meet you where you're at is a very good thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. So that kind of makes me think about my own experience, which uh, was how I found some of my very first clients. So I have my thoughts listed out on our, we have a shared drive that kind of has all of our thoughts, everyone.
0: Organization.
1: (laughs) Our organization. I just want to make sure I, you know, we touch on everything, but can I dive right in? Please do. Please go. Okay. So. It makes me think about when I first started my business. And obviously, when you start your business, that is the big question. Like, how am I going to find patrons for my art so that I can keep making more art? And as we shared in the first episode of Cultivate, I started my business as a bride myself. And so it was really easy for me to kind of be in the mindset of my ideal client. Because in a way, I was my ideal client. And so it was easy for me to think as a, like a bride, like searching for vendors, because I literally was a bride yeah. <laughs> searching for vendors. And so I think that that was a very fortunate start. Because one thing when you are thinking about finding and attracting your ideal client that you need to do is to put yourself in the mind of your client think about how are they finding their vendors? What are they searching for? How are they shopping? What are the things that they are liking? What are their concerns? What are the things that they desire? Mm -hmm. And for me, it was really easy for me to, to think of those things because I was doing that myself. And it was easy for me to, you know, what are people searching on Pinterest? What hashtags am I searching on Instagram? How am I finding these referrals? And so that is how I found some of my very first clients. Now, on that note, my very first clients, they came from Pinterest. They came from referrals. They came from Instagram hashtags. Mm-hmm. They did not have big budgets. Yeah. But guess what? I didn't have the portfolio. So it works out. They trusted me and they helped give me that experience to build the portfolio that I needed in order to book the, you know, major projects that I'm working on now. You know, I think my first handmade paper bride, I maybe profited $200. Oh, yep. That sounds familiar. I say. And now we're working on projects where the budget is like $15,000. Mm-hmm. So there is that growth over time. But you have to have the portfolio to attract those higher end clients. And I think sometimes we often get a little bit impatient and you want them right now.
0: Because mm-hmm. your vision but is for something glorious so much and bigger. elegant and big. Can I share a fun story? Yeah. Just a quick little blip. Yeah, no, Bye. I want to hear it. So I got my start on Etsy because I already had an Etsy business that was related to sewing. And that's how, similar to you, like my, that's how I started my invitations. So I was looking on yeah. Etsy and I was looking for sources on Etsy. And so I started selling on Etsy and my Etsy clientele did not want to pay what I wanted to charge and they didn't want to make what I wanted to make except finally one person did her name is Molly Carr Molly (laughs) Carr photography (laughs) who's now a dear friend and will be a guest on our podcast I'm sure soon and she believed in me and she wanted handmade paper and that that changed everything for me not only did we work together and I made her wedding invitations but that actually formed a relationship and we did editorials together that built my portfolio. Um, I've second shot for her in uh when we She does destination weddings in France and uh, England, Italy, like it, that changed my life. So you never know. Anyways, thank you, Molly.
1: And on that note too, I, I do want to come back to you talking about Etsy because I skipped Etsy. I did not do anything with Etsy, which I feel like is kind of crazy because I know so many people start there, mm-hmm. but I think that I started my business kind of as people were coming out of the, like the height of being an Etsy seller. Yes. So I just kind of jumped that. Yeah. But my very first hand paper bride, her wedding photographer, as my fun connection, mm-hmm. is Kate, What well, was Kate Ignatowski. Uh, and Kate is the creator of Locust collection, collection Styling Services. And Kate and I formed an incredible relationship from doing that bride's wedding. Mm -hmm. And it was in Italy. I was so excited. It was like my first destination wedding or my first destination couple, one of my first handmade paper couples. And I became very good friends with Kate. She contacted me after that wedding and said, hey, I'm launching some rollable styling surfaces. Do you have any invitations you need photographed? And I sent her my entire semi-custom collection that I had created at the time that I was desperately needing to get photographed. photographed. Kate photographed all of them on her surfaces. And then just from there, like our friendship has blossomed over the years. So it is fun to think about how these connections kind of come full circle and you never know who these people are going to be. That's so key is there are so many big names in the world A lot of the time, those people
0: already have their people and that's okay. Yes. That doesn't mean they're not open to working with others, but a lot of times they already have their set. Well, that's the thing though. They didn't, they weren't always at the top of their craft. There are people who are around you now. And I have so many examples of this where we started out together and we grew together. Yes. I love that. Yeah. There are lots of people now who are incredible at their craft and refer clients to me and And we started out together, and it was—it's just Mm -hmm. a very mutual relationship.
1: Mm, I love that, and it makes me think about—I remember talking to Rachel about this because we did a like workshop together, and everybody was asking Rachel—it's with Rachel Ellen Events, Mm -hmm. you know—how they can work with her, and and she brought up the point of. When people start out, they're sometimes so focused on growing vertically, when in reality, you need to grow horizontally and you need to like connect with those who are at your level and rise together. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I started out my business, it would have been so easy to think like, how can I work with Jose Villa? How can I work with Eric McVeigh? Like, how Mm -hmm. can I get these photographers to work with me? But guess what? They already have the connections of the stationers and the other vendors that they've built over the years from Mm -hmm. when they first started their business. So let's focus on building relationships with people who are hungry, Mm -hmm. who have the same level of talent that I do, who are in that same mindset as I, and we can grow together. And I think a really good example of that is your relationship with Molly Carr, how you guys have risen together. Mm -hmm. And it's that whole concept of how, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. So it's like if you just focus on connecting horizontally instead of just how can I climb this vertical ladder, you're going to find so much more success. So much more
0: deep, uh it feels like you're on a more solid foundation. I this this is gonna sound funny, but stick with me, bear with. Sometimes we treat those who are at the top of our craft or their craft. As celebrities, in a, in a sense. Yeah. Um, yes. And we forget that they're people. And we sometimes forget that they don't owe us anything and, and that they have their own insecurities and their own relationships and their own fullness of humanity. And so I think sometimes when you idolize a person, you forget that they started somewhere. And mm-hmm. the strength of their relationships are are theirs and you get to also build those relationships with people who are around you and just i really want to emphasize as we've been talking how important it is to like you were saying build horizontally um you need that room to feel safe to make mistakes with the yeah. people who are around you and I know that I have had the opportunity to work with people who were even more gifted or in my brain, more gifted in their craft. And there was a sense of intimidation, I felt. And it wasn't I wasn't as able to be free creatively because I felt like I was really trying to impress or or make a mark. And I ended up it ended up not being as satisfying. And I find Mm -hmm. that when I now I work with other people who I've grown up with in my business, I've just been able to be terrible and it was fine and like and grow and learn from that and it's just it's so incredibly valuable
1: and important to be comfortable with that. Yeah, it, that is so true. And that makes me think about in my very first early stages. So as I started my business and was trying to find these first initial clients, my husband kind of pressed me of, you know, how Who's your ideal client? He was an econ major. So he definitely had that kind of mindset going into it. I was actually a business major. So I was not studying art. I came into this with a very business mindset. And so to me, I was also thinking about who my ideal client is. And I realized that Although I was finding these, you know, these brides and grooms and grooms and grooms and brides and brides from, you know, Instagram or Pinterest or just kind of these like one-off locations, Mm -hmm. that for me the way that I wanted to make that jump from a bride who was paying me two hundred dollars to a couple who was going to pay me more was through wedding planners, and I realized that my ideal client was not. Actually, couples getting married, but my ideal client was actually a wedding planner because a wedding planner is going to bring me repeat business. Mm-hmm. And so, when I was doing that brand research, I made that very strategic decision early on within that first year of my business that I was going to market directly to wedding planners. But I picked wedding planners who were on my same like playing field, Mm -hmm. who were on my same level, had the
0: same years of experience or similar years of experience, were interested in the same type of brides and grooms. Maybe for some of us, it's in our same geographic location. For some of us Mm -hmm. who want to do destination weddings, doesn't matter if they're in our geographic location. For me, it was more about the location in which the couple was getting married.
1: Yeah, yeah. People who are focused on that. Yeah, and those are all things you have to take into account. And I focused on wedding planners who were hiring those ideal clients that I wanted in, you know, in the end. And I targeted towards these wedding planners. And one of those ways that I did that was thinking about, okay, and I will say, I have, you know, my best friend who's a wedding planner herself. So I I had her opinion and I had her thought process and kind of hearing her honest struggles, you know, we would get Mm -hmm. together, I would hear some of the struggles that she was having as a wedding planner and, and how you know, wedding planners, they are in a tough position, they have to be an advocate for both their couple as they do their vendor team. Mm And so they have a very delicate dance. You know, they have to maintain relationships with their vendors, but then also advocate for their couple because their couple, they hired them, you know, they trust them. They are, you know, putting their faith in them for like the biggest event of their life. And so, one way that I knew that I could be a wonderful vendor to a wedding planner, the type of vendor that the wedding planner wanted to bring repeat customers to was to make the wedding planner's job as easy as possible. I just was like I want to be such a dream boat vendor to work with. I want to make it so easy for the wedding planner that they want to bring me their business. And so I thought about all of the ways that I could make it easy for the wedding planner. I prepared be prepared I could be clear with my emails. I could be consistent. I could be reliable. I could respond to emails within a timely manner and not like ghost people and not take, you know, five weeks to bring a design draft. And even if I needed more time on something, you know, if I said, Hey, I'll get this to you by the end of the week. And then the end of the week rolled around and I don't know, life happened. And I couldn't get that to them anymore. And I could no longer meet that. I never left them wondering, I would send an email on Friday and say, Hey, I know that I promised the design draft, but you know, some instances happened this weekend, and I need just a little bit more time to make sure it's perfect for you. I'll have this to you on Monday. Communication, even if you're
0: not able to meet your initial expectation, communication is just everything to Huge. a wedding planner.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. communication and honesty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I was always so honest, I wanted the wedding planners to know that they could trust me when I said that I mailed something, it meant that I actually mailed something, mm-hmm. and you know, I think about, okay, a wedding planner on the day of the wedding. I am not the most important vendor, you know, flowers, catering, photography, they all take precedent over paper goods on a wedding day, I'd like to think that I'm the most important. But in reality, I'm not and little things like simply alphabetizing your place cards yes. is going to make their day so much easier, so much easier. And you know, I did have the experience of Being on Rachel's team, like that is kind of how I dipped my toes into the wedding industry was I had such insight. Well, I I feel like I got very lucky and very blessed to have that background. And I'm excited to be able to kind of like share my two cents on that on what it really is like to be there on the day of. And I love that you have that insight as a fine art film photographer, too, because (laughs) I feel like we can jump on our soapbox and be like, we understand, we get it. But then we're also stationers at our core. Mm
0: hmm. Oh All my right. gosh! F- uh, photographing with Molly and also with um, Anna, another Italian American yeah. photographer, has helped me. Has helped me become a much better stationer. I used to not put my shoes in the put myself in the shoes of a planner. Not that I was disrespectful, but I ju- I just didn't know. You don't think about it. It's not a no. natural thing to think about. And that was something that changed in the last couple of years big time. Um, yeah. I just value planners who work with me so much more, especially now there. That's a whole nother conversation we could have about having boundaries and what, what to look for in a
1: how to have a good relationship with a planner.
0: Yes. And sometimes there are red flags that tell you this planner is not going to be someone who works who I work well with. And that's important too. you need to have boundaries. But when you find those people who you do mesh with, you just want to go above and beyond to help them. Mm-hmm. And make their lives easier. And it's so reciprocal. Yes, they're so happy to send you clients then and because they know what they're going to get. And they know that they're you're like you said, be consistent, you know, you're they know you're going to be consistent. And it can be so stressful to be a planner.
1: Well, and planners already have so much stress going on. At the end of the day, they just want to work with someone who is a friend, a decent human. Yep you know and that's something that i don't think people realize is it's like i just want to work with someone who i know is going to not be a headache and is going to deliver to my clients and be the right fit for my clients and so that that i do think though that establishing a good relationship with a wedding planner is definitely one way that you can start to build your portfolio and start to attract that higher budget client and you know, if couples have the budget to hire a wedding planner, they typically have a higher budget all around. Right. It's it's not only
0: a repeat customer thing. It it literally is just like a, a different tier of there's a client. correlation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's really wonderful and helpful. And they can also be so awesome at setting expectations for your clients. So mm-hmm. the clients that they do bring you not only have the budget, but more often than not, have proper expectations for what to plan for each papery element of their wedding. So save the dates, invitations, Mm day of goods, a good planner helps them budget and prep properly.
1: Yeah. So with that, I'm sure people are listening to this and are thinking, okay, that all sounds great and dandy. But how do you even get a wedding planner interested in you? Yeah, in your work. And I have Thoughts and answers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You go. Let's do it.
1: So obviously, one of the ways that you are going to be able to get a wedding planner interested in your work is to build a portfolio worth being interested in. And you need to create work that your ideal client is interested in. And there are two ways that you can do this. One, you can create work through styled shoots or just creating for the, you know, the fun of it, or two, you can create work and create a portfolio that your ideal client would be interested in through a semi custom collection. Mm -hmm. So on the first one, style shoots, editorials, workshops, we will have an entire episode or two, (laughs) or two or three, honestly, we can have an entire series about this. So I don't want to dive into that too much because that is a beast, you know, to tackle. But that is always an option. You know, editorials and style shoots and workshops, they do give you the opportunity to work directly with another vendor and build that relationship.
0: Editorials are the primary way I built my portfolio in the beginning.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's you know, a really great tactic because it gives you that creative freedom too, or the, it should
0: <laughs> and helps you practice your skills, really yes. hone your skills.
1: Yeah. So
0: I miss it. Yeah, it should. Sometimes it doesn't. It should. <laughs> <laughs> it should.
1: <laughs> and then another thing that I think people often forget about is just creating for fun for the sake of it. So during COVID, when work was slow, I actually Sat down and utilize this time. Like, I look back on kind of that experience, and I'm actually very proud of how I took that opportunity to grow my business. And, you know, we talked about this how we launched our very first Cultivate course during COVID. Mm-hmm. But I also took this as an opportunity to really build and like beef up my portfolio. And I wanted to come out of COVID with like actual content to share. I was yeah. really concerned about that. I wanted to have like, Things to share. And I feel like I was kind of like at the cusp of my business, like maybe being able to go full time. You know, I talked about that again in like the first episode too. And so I remember we had been going through all of these shows and like watching all of these series, like starting Lord of the Rings from start to finish, <laughs> and, you know, all of my these favorite. different series. And I remember like just kind of being inspired by like, I don't know, that European aspect the heraldry aspect just mm-hmm. like some of those things that like we were like watching and i was spending a lot of time during covid like reading different art books museums were doing online like live tours so i was doing so accessible that. There were so many things that were becoming like very accessible to being like in your own home. And I just remember thinking like, I want to take advantage of this. Hmm. And so I had all of this inspiration and I created three invitation suites during this time. And they were just things that I loved. It was my first time working with velvet paper. I spent a ton of time, a ton of time researching velvet. That is signature ink and presco. Oh, thank you. So yeah. I created my very first like velvet pocket sleeve during this time. I figured out how to work with acrylic. Like I figured out how to work with so many things because I had this time to just really dive into my research. And those three invitation suites totally launched me forward. Yeah, they got shared by Style Me Pretty by like, just because they were beautiful. And I think that they were probably looking for content. Mm-hmm. They are circulated nonstop on Pinterest. And what's funny is that, you know, those three invitation suites, they weren't for actual couples, but couples didn't know that when mm-hmm. they saw the photo. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, my ideal client is the type of client that gets married at Rose Cliff Mansion, which is this beautiful mansion in Newport, Rhode Island. It was used for like the original Great Gatsby movie. It's just very opulent and beautiful, detailed, ornate. And so I intentionally wrote Rosecliff Mansion on one of those three invitation suites. And then, you know, right after that photo started circulating, I had a bride reach out to me who was tried and true, my idol client. She emailed me and she said, I saw an invitation suite you've done, you did for a previous Rosecliff bride. I loved it. And I want to book you for my Rosecliff. Wedding the next year. And it was just kind of like, bada, bang, bada bing, bada being. Like, <laughs> this all was not, no, it wasn't like too easy, but I was like, this worked out so well. Like, this was perfect. And so, create just to create, like, create something that your ideal client will love so that you can build that portfolio. And then the second one, just as a small touch, because a semi custom collection is something that deserves like, 10 episodes oh so much in that but a semi-custom collection does give you a portfolio of actual invitation suites that your ideal client can view that's important they can view it in an organized fashion they can shop yes and it builds trust because like shasta said they can shop it. Mm -hmm. And so coming out of COVID, I actually revamped my entire semi-custom collection. I really dove into what actually inspired me. I got rid of my previous semi-custom collection and launched this entirely new one. Mm -hmm. And with that, I spent some good money creating sample kits mm-hmm. with my semi-custom collection with foil on handmade paper. It was all out of my own pocket. I created these booklets that was basically my website and magazine form. Like they were beautiful booklets. They are gorgeous. Yes. Yeah, I, I still love them. I actually kept one and like have it like on our coffee table because I'm like, this is beautiful. <laughs> and I created these very luxury like sample kits. And during COVID, I mailed them out to 25 different wedding planners who I felt were in my same playing field or slightly above, but mm-hmm. not like crazy above. Mm-hmm. But wedding planners who I wanted to make a really wonderful first impression with people that I've never worked with before and the people I wanted to maintain relationships with going into you know the next year Mm -hmm. and those sample kits established wonderful relationships with now three separate three different wedding planners that I had not worked with before who I have worked consistently with since right and
0: the return on your investment is just huge. huge
1: So the numbers of that, I sent out 25 and out of that, I got three. Mm-hmm. Okay. That probably does not seem too encouraging, but those three I brought in, one of them I have four clients with this year, right? The return you you on don't need
0: to be huge. BFFs with every wedding planner in the world. You, I mean, I think I have three people who I work with consistently who yeah, same. I just, I love every client they bring to me. I just love, and it's multiple per year and it's, it's, I mean, I could just survive off of them some years. It's just great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think on that note, too, wedding planners kind of have their other people like kind of their people in their pocket a little bit, too. And so and you, you'll notice it like you notice wedding planners who always work with certain vendors. And it's mm-hmm. because obviously there's a sense of trust. There's a relationship there. There's obviously commonalities with the style. So I will say, like, find the wedding planners who are also looking for stationers in return. People who want to have a relationship with you in return. Like You don't want to just be shouting at someone. And there yeah. are a couple of wedding planners who like I would love to work with them. But, but... you know they have their people. They have their people and that's totally okay. Like I, I also want to work with people who want to work with me in return.
0: You can shoot your shot, but it's kind of like, like I was saying before that like celebrity, celebrity mentality, like you're not gonna, you want to treat them like a whole person and respect them. And so you don't want to spam them and bombard them. Um, You want to work with people who you can have a real connection with. And if you end up having a real connection with someone who is at the top of their craft, that's amazing and wonderful. But that is, we don't need to idealize, um, you know, that sort of situation. Sometimes the glorious gem person is someone who's um, starting out just like you.
1: Totally. Yeah, like, and I, I think we all believe this or and if you don't, then let me shout it at you but <laughs> your following on Instagram does not matter Mm-mm. literally does not matter you know some of my favorite wedding photographers and wedding planners who are yes. the most respectful have like a thousand followers and yes. I would rather work with them than the wedding planner or photographer who has 50,000 followers and on that note just
0: a sign note: please don't buy followers just, yes. I hope that's understood, but that is a uh, if you want to show integrity still doing that? I don't know. It happened a lot when like a couple yeah. of years you ago. Know, and it's just if you want to kill your integrity and your reputation among other people, that's that's a great way to do it. So just just side. So people I know. know. Yeah, people we know. know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about something along the lines of um, the work, what kind of work you create. And I won't get too far into the weeds on this because it is a whole separate conversation. But I think, how do I want to phrase this? In our previous conversations, we've talked about it being okay to suck. And it absolutely mm-hmm. is okay to suck. And that's part of growing your process. And like we mentioned, even at the top of this conversation, sometimes it's just going to take a while for your art to start attracting the kind of people you want it to. So I'll have people come to me and ask why they're not kind of imply why they're not getting any clients, and. It's hard to say this in a way that's gentle, but it's like you're you're still growing in your craft. Like you will get there, but mm-hmm. you're not there yet. And that's okay. Keep creating, keep growing. The work that you create might not be at that level yet. It will get to that level if you continue to grow. Um, and another shoot off of that is if you're creating exactly what everyone else is creating, what ends up happening is if, if you're trying to become another copy of another stationer what you end up doing is only attracting clients who are there for your your price and not for your originality and your work
1: if you're being a knockoff of another stationer you're only attracting their knockoff clients exactly so you're not attracting the client who is going to pay the value of real art you're mm-hmm. getting the person who's like i can't afford them so i'm just gonna come f- i can't afford them for like 50 dollars, so i'm coming to you for five dollars and so you're never going to be able to grow your business like that is not a sustainable format it's a shortcut and it's a cheat code that ends up shooting you in the foot and it is not worth it
0: there there's room for you to practice skills that everyone has so like it, some types of sweets like is just like a staple in everyone's like, everybody has a
1: venue suite
0: yeah like every, venue and everyone has a text only suite that's like basic text no like And
1: everybody know. has an all calligraphy suite and now everyone has a wreath suite like it's just that's
0: like yeah. a thing. but you got to put your own spin on it and that's going to happen through editorials that's going to happen through growth otherwise you're just not you're not going to grow at all. And mm-hmm. we, other people also see what's happening. And if you're just simply creating to undercut another stationer's prices, you're going to hurt your relationships in the community. And your and like you said, you're just not going to attract clients who are going to be willing to pay what you're worth. They're mm-hmm. going to be only going to you because you're cheaper.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned something that I want to kind of come back to before that comment. Um, you know, When you work with a client, it's definitely a delicate collaboration between you being a true artist and them being the paying patron. And you have to do what they say a little bit. You have to work together. You have to work together. And some of those very first couples that you work with, they're probably not going to pick like the most beautiful thing that you love. Like they're not going to pick the envelope liner that you really want. Mm-hmm. And I am just here to tell you it is okay to change it for the photos. Yeah. For your photos. <laughs> like for their, you know, their wedding photographer photos, you send them exactly what they purchased. I have very seldom used a photo from the couple's like wedding photographer. I style and photograph, you know, 90% of my own work. And that's all about our first Cultivate course is about. So there's so you know, many we, reasons for that. Yeah, uh, it's not, it's not to knock on the day or
0: the photographer, or the client, it a lot has, has to do with brand consistency.
1: Hmm. And, you know, even today, I had a couple, I always joke that there's a right and wrong, a right and wrong answer to every design draft. <laughs> and today, a couple picked the wrong answer when it came to their envelope liner. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm not gonna sit here and like waste my energy and tell you that that was the wrong envelope liner. Yeah, I unless know it's that one is so pas. It, you just, let but it then go. I wouldn't have proposed it in the first place. Yeah, you know? exactly. but it's just one of those situations where I'm like, okay, you picked that. That is not the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fine. I'll just print off the other one, format, and print it off and use that envelope liner. my photos because I want to attract clients who are picking that type of envelope liner. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to use that envelope liner when I advertise my own work and I'm styling and photographing my own work. So why can't I swap it around? Mm -hmm. I think I did that a lot with vintage stamps in the beginning, you know, vintage stamps are so expensive. And most of my couples could not afford them. Most of my very first couples couldn't. And so I would always just swap out the standard postage for vintage stamps when I was styling photos. And now, you know, four out of my five couples are adding on vintage stamps. Yes. So you need to show the work that you also want to attract.
0: Oh, that's key. I will credit um, Victoria of Design House of Moira, like uh, being the first person to say that to me and really hammer that home when she used to do periscopes. Like, do not show things that you don't want clients to buy. If yeah. you want to attract a certain kind of client, it can be tempting to just show the work that you're working on because it's easier. But then people will start asking for that work. And if you don't want to mm-hmm. do that work, don't post it. Don't show it.
1: Don't show it. I love, Yeah, it's so true. So kind of on the opposite end of this whole conversation, you know, there's that that situation where maybe you don't want to work with wedding planners and maybe you don't want to find clients through that avenue. Mm-hmm. Where do you find them then? And for me, you know, I found a lot of my couples through wedding planner relationships, but a lot of my other couples have found me through either Pinterest, Instagram, or just a good old Google search. Yes. And when it comes to those three things, so Pinterest, number one, recognize that Pinterest is not a social media. It is a search engine. It is basically Google, but in photo form nailed it yep and then when it comes to social media think about where are your ideal clients hanging out okay let's think about it so the three big social media forms you have facebook instagram and tiktok mm-hmm. facebook typically the t- people who are hanging out on facebook are a little bit older they might be like in the boomer or lost generation moms it is the mother of the yes. bride or groom but it is the mom and dad who are paying for their kids wedding we have big budgets. Yes, I think <laughs> I actually like haven't really tapped into Facebook marketing to be totally frank. But I know personally a wedding photographer who books six figure weddings from Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know what's great
0: is you can post on Instagram and Facebook at the same time with one click.
1: I do do that, yeah. But I feel like it's not as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely more tools to be utilized through Facebook. Mm-hmm. So Facebook is not dead, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So then, thinking about Instagram, okay, who's hanging out on Instagram? It is millennials like me. Like we it's, love Instagram nuts. till the day we die. Yep. And millennials are on the are in that stage of getting married right now. So and for oftentimes me,
0: they're a little older, have bigger mm-hmm. budgets. They're young professionals.
1: Yes, you know they're. Working in corporate settings, like you said, young professionals. So I do find a lot of my clients through Instagram and then TikTok. Tint- TikTok is going to be your younger generation. So you're going to have Gen Z and down. And so, you know, TikTok is something that I'm newer at, but I recognize that it's something that I do need to get more into because those are the up and coming weddings. But I will say, one of my biggest budget clients this year who her wedding is a custom design and it's actually one of my favorite projects of the season she found me through tiktok but she is my first tiktok couple
0: (laughs) i'd be so interested if any of you listeners like our data nerds if you guys know like have resources or have researched how couples are using social media please shoot us an email send us information we'd love to have you on or credit you like yeah this is really interesting information uh, to know because there's new social media streams that are coming and as gen z gets older and they start pairing off and getting married that's it's going to start changing the industry
1: it really is and then the last one you know google searches that comes from your website seo and i'm not a pro i do feel like i'm decent in this because i have booked several like google search engine couples that might be
0: one of my main revenue your streams. main yeah that, that ins that instagram planners you know those are the three ones but uh-huh. i'm always shocked at how many people tell me based on my intake form because i collect that information that's important mm-hmm. for me to know how many people say google and i'm like wow yeah. Awesome. Because Squarespace makes it pretty easy, which yes. is the platform that I use. It's really great. There are a lot of easy SEO courses you can take online.
1: And then you have a note here, which I want to hear your opinion on this because I kind of forgot about it until you put it on your little note. Mm-hmm. But advertising specifically through blogs and you know, paying for a like campaign ad spot, whether that's paying for like a vendor profile on Style Me Pretty or Wedding Sparrow, that is another format. But I want to hear your thoughts on that. Have you done that before? Did you have success? What do you think? Oh my gosh.
0: I, we've never talked about this before. This is when I was like, I kind of know
1: our thoughts on the other pieces yeah that's why i'm curious because this is actually something we've never talked. i've talked about it with aileen actually but i've never Mm -hmm. talked about it with you so i'm Ah. curious what your thoughts are i have two thoughts
0: or two cat two branches same tree two different branches there are two different kinds of advertisers there's benevolent and there's malevolent (laughs) Does that make sense benevolent um like wedding sparrow style me pretty these these awesome places Magnolia Magnolia Rouge I when I was first starting I was published a lot on them and it really helped me gain a sense of ethos in the community and I really appreciate I love Sarah from Wedding Sparrow in particular because I was able to work with her at a at a workshop and just she brings a lot to the table I appreciated her. I have never um, paid for a campaign. It has just it hasn't been part of my marketing plan. It hasn't I have never uh, since I got the ball rolling. I haven't faced a dearth of clients where I felt like I needed to advertise. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to speak too much on that other than I appreciate the relationship that I have with the editors. Um, I've always been treated pretty well. Um, one time there was like a plagiarism issue um, and someone I plagiarized. My yeah. And um, the editor of Magnolia Rouge responded immediately. And was totally in my court. It is wonderful. Yeah. I mean, there's no way she wouldn't anyone would have known beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was very responsive and I just really appreciate her. And and each place has different return on investment and different programs. So what I can really speak to though is I have been approached multiple times by what I would consider malevolent advertising companies that it's pay-to-play situation with very little it, it's almost predatory Um especially in the in my local region there was a group that it was not a good fit for me they wanted me to advertise online and they wanted me to pay a certain amount for it and they wanted they invited me out for coffee and pitched me something and they really tried to flatter me, which is a sales technique. And they pitched me like a three to four grand video they would make. And all these things that was completely out of my budget. And they just, I felt like they had no idea who they were talking to, or they did know who they were talking to. And they were preying upon my naivety and my earnestness and my eagerness, asking for exorbitant amount of money on something that had very little guarantee of any kind of Return for client, I mean, my clientele is not my local market at all, and so it was just very difficult for me at the time because I didn't have a lot of boundaries or savvy to know that that was not a good idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I just if you are new, like if you've been around the block, you know what to look out for and it's just yeah. delete that email, but if you're new, I just say watch out for people who are promising you clients. It is it, they can't do that. they can promise you views and and metrics and certain things certain blogs can show you what they can produce and that's good like that they've done their research but um i just say be careful of some yeah
1: what about you so i've actually been a vendor like member with magnolia rouge wedding sparrow and sell me pretty yeah um and i had great experiences with all three they do offer their vendors like a lot of wonderful perks whether it's you know feed posts, story posts with links to your website. Uh, You know, you have your vendor profile where you can show your portfolio with, you know, some of the different ones. If you're a part of like the vendor team then it's more likely to be accepted and to be published and i always had a positive experience in that way
0: working yeah. with planners who or florists or people who are members of those groups yeah, it's yeah been a and so experience.
1: and then they, there's a really good community like they have facebook communities where you kind of build some relationships with other photographers and so I will say, like when I was building my business, it was really wonderful to be part of those communities. I did Wedding Sparrow first for a year, then I did Magnolia Rouge for a year, and then I did Style Me Pretty for a year, and I loved all three of my experiences equally. Um, you know, different perks and different experiences and relationships built from the different big three. I wouldn't say right now that it's something that I would really allocate much of my like advertising and marketing strategy too, but i think that's just because i have a more established style and brand and i'm being more selective with the type of clients and work that i take on but when i was building my business it was a wonderful way to not only attract clients but also build relationships with people again who are on that same horizontal field yes. and eager to climb the ladder together. Yes, because
0: the communities, you know, behind the scenes and the Facebook groups, you're just able to connect with people who are in that same stage. And mm-hmm. what I, I have ex- most of my experiences with Sarah Wedding Sparrow is like she just delivers so much value that I, I, even just that brief rush with her during that workshop, I learned so much about the industry that I didn't know before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really encouraging.
1: Yeah. And I think to, you know, the people that you rub shoulders with in like the Instagram groups and the Facebook groups, they are also eager to build their business. And so I had really talented photographers reach out to me, you know, looking to photograph high quality fine art invitation suites and so i was able to kind of almost like cherry pick a more specific editorial experience where i could guarantee myself photos in return Mm -hmm. and then some of those relationships that come like there's one photographer brie who i just have become such great friends we first connected with in the magnolia rouge group and i just love brie and like is send for each for other- you who took our flatly styling class. With- yes, oh, I love her. She's been so supportive of like all of our cultivate courses we do like Christmas cards for each other. Like, Aww. and that connection came from, you know, Brie and I connecting and in the Magnolia Rouge group, she was looking to take some photos and kind of build her like flat lay portfolio. I was looking for photos. And so, you know, we could exchange services in that regard and just build a, re- a relationship. And so, you know, those blogs and those, Uh, membership groups when it's with a credible wedding editorial website or publication they can be really beneficial
0: Mm -hmm. and you leverage them properly
1: yes and also there is that you know that monetary price associated with it but for me it was like okay And, and I can't remember what the membership prices are I know that they have different tiers but to me I was like If I am paying $50 for this membership, it's not $50, I'm just throwing out a number. And I get a couple who books me and that design fee is $65, then that was totally worth it if they found me through that service. And so like you mentioned, and this is something that if you're not doing, you should be doing, but on your quote, request intake form, you should have it listed, like, where did you find me so that you can collect that information, whether they found you through Google, social media, a wedding publication, Facebook, SEO searches. Yeah, you need to
0: know what's working. Yes. That's very important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, we've covered like so much. It's just I mean, this is a big overview of like, how do you attract your ideal clients? Is there anything else that you you feel like is really important or that really stuck with you as you were going? Like emotionally, what was that like? You know, when did you waiting for those clients or when did it really pick up for you?
1: You know, I think it probably took a solid three years for me to really feel like I was starting to attract the ideal client. And that doesn't mean that from year two to year three, I suddenly had all ideal clients. It wasn't crickets. No. Yeah. But it was like, you know, year one, maybe I booked five clients and one of them was my ideal client. And the other four were just paying the bills. And then year two, maybe that number jumped up to two were my ideal client and three were just paying the bills. Mm -hmm. And I feel like around year three is when it it tipped in the sense of more than half of my clients were the ideal client and the, you know, a little less than half were the paying the bills client. And now, you know, six years later, like I only accept clients that are my ideal client. Um, obviously, like I said earlier, they can still pick the, I'm doing air quotes, wrong choice. choice. (laughs) But like, it's still obviously a project that I'm so excited about and I look forward to working on. But I just I love what you said at the beginning of the episode that it takes time. It takes thoughtful, intentional actions and decisions. It takes strategy. But if you put that in and put it into play, it will, you know, you will get your return on your investment. It will happen for you.
0: It absolutely will. It just has me reminiscing of some of my first clients that I had, the things that I created. I think it took me until year three also. Mm -hmm. I started in 2014 and then I went full time in 2017, fall of 2017. And even then, not every single client, like you said, was still my ideal client, but many of them were. And that's when my style really started to solidify. I was no longer looking to the left and to the right at what other people doing. I started to really just focus in on what I was doing and what I wanted to do. Yeah. And what you wanted to create. Exactly. Exactly. I remember you, and earlier you were talking about what you did during COVID and finding your style inspired you. And that's when I started to dig deep into heraldry yes i remember that i like dabbled with it before but then i got like more serious and now i have a client who's getting married in scotland and we are creating the most dope like heraldic crest and coat of arms sorry i'm so excited i'm working on it right now i'm so excited
1: that is so up your alley i love
0: that for you It's so good evil vibes i'm into this this is my jam that's so exciting wow so this is a very high level view of how to attract your ideal client? There have been more subjects that we could have gone into a little bit deeper, but I really I really like what we've covered, especially talking about working with wedding planners and just how to how to wait, I think timing and how to be patient and building those relationships with planners and other people in the industry and finding your sense of self. That's so key. And um, moving on from that, I have a final question for us. What tool? in your studio are you like ride or die like could not live without is like or maybe not of all time but even just now you're like super into um take a second to think about it if you need to um i have an answer if you need a second
1: yeah i need a second so let me hear from you first what is like your ride or die tool we already talked about it i right here
0: (laughs) (laughs) the advanced tape glider scotch scotch you have my heart I was thinking about it today because I was brainstorming what I was going to ask you. And I was like, what would my answer be? I'm like, what is a game changer? What made things change? I would say this, and I have one more, the Xyron machine. Do you know what I'm talking about? For your stickers. Yeah. Yeah. It is duplexing magic. So the Advanced Tape Glider is, if you need to Google it, it's basically what we I use for all adhesive, like single strip adhesive. It's for envelope liners. It's for sealing envelopes. It just it makes it go so much faster. And there's two mm-hmm. different options. We were talking about this. But the Xyron machine is for sticking two pieces of paper together and duplexing. I used to use spray adhesive, which is like bad for your lungs. You have to do it outside. Now mm-hmm. I use that Xyron for... All duplexing and it is sticky. It is,
1: and st- you can make stickers with it. It's how I create my labels. Yes, yes, me too. Mm-hmm. I will take a piece of paper. I will foil
0: my little like branding on it, and then I'll run it through the Ziron machine and, and stick it on too.
1: Yeah, things like that. Yeah. So I think honestly, my instinct, gut reaction answer, is a good old Elmer's glue stick. Yes, <laughs> I think people would be shocked i kind of joke about it i'm like people would be shocked at how many or how like much crafting like scrapbooking supplies we use for fine art luxury paper goods you know (laughs) but a glue stick like i go through so many glue sticks it's what you should use if you're not doing it for your vintage stamps you need to use a glue stick for your actual vintage stamps no no
0: no no no, no. No
1: licking them that adhesive is decades old And it's not sticky. And it's going to give you, I don't know what, tuberculosis? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, like, we're not trying to bring that back. (laughs) It's probably, like, just, I don't know, polio on the back of those things. Like, (laughs) they're just nasty. nasty. (laughs) Do you use regular strength or do you use the extra strength glue stick? Extra strength Elmer's glue stick. Yeah, it's like the craft bond extra strength mm-hmm. one. So I use that for vintage stamps. I feel like sometimes if you're doing like a vellum wrap and it might be curling, you can just like dab a little bit of glue stick on there. You know, if like the envelope liner is like lifting up in the corner just a little bit, you can just dab a little bit yeah, of glue stick on there. You can't stick
0: the ATG glider on an envelope that's already been stuck on your yeah yeah liner. yeah. You have to. So
1: I think probably a glue stick. And it's funny because. There's always that joke that, like, who empties a chapstick t- tube? You know what I mean? Like, y- the joke of, like, you lose your chapstick before you finish your chapstick. Do you know how many, like, glue sticks I go through? <laughs> yeah, and I think about that in equation to glue sticks, that, like, most people are probably losing their glue sticks or, like, drying their glue sticks up before they use the whole right. thing. And I am like, oh, for, like, one invitation suite, I go through five. Yes. Yeah. I love how we both shows adhesives as our game changers yeah well probably because you kind of got me on that mindset <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was honestly trying to think of something else I was like my foil machine well yeah I mean that was great but like what what has like sped up my process and like do I love it's yeah. my adhesive stuff yeah yeah
1: and it's kind of like a dark horse <laughs> yeah
0: dark <laughs> course well but-
1: Thank you so much, Shasta. I, can I just say like, I'm a weirdo and I go back and listen to our podcast episodes because it is so fun to, you know, take it all in the first time hearing from you and learning from you, but then to go back and it's funny because when I was listening to the first two, I was like getting ready for the day. And I even like went back and like rewind or rewound, I don't don't at me about that well back I don't know I went back like 15 seconds because you just have so much insight and there were so many times where I'm like oh my gosh I missed that the first time around like that was so insightful that was so powerful Mm -hmm. and it's just it is so such a delight to be able to sit here and learn from you and I am just so excited because I just feel so inspired and moved and touched by so many of the things that you brought up in this conversation oh,
0: thanks, I feel the same way i I also listen to them again I'm like, oh, she came so prepared that's so insightful. I know Aww. we're having a friend crush right now <laughs> <laughs> I love
1: but yeah. i really I really truly do value it and i just I loved your perspective, truly on going slow and don't grow too soon. you know, build your business and Build it with integrity and honesty and with strong foundational roots. And those ideal clients, although it feels like it may be far out. And you know what? For us, we're sitting here saying that kind of around the three year mark, we found our ideal clients. But if you're in your three year mark and you're not finding them, keep going. You know, maybe look at ways that you can pivot your business. Maybe it'll take four or five years. Maybe your client that you're wanting to book is like very niche and it's, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It just takes a little bit more time and just that consistency. And celebrating the wins. Yeah, don't lose faith.
0: Celebrate those wins along the way. Oh, thank you so much, Makayla. It is truly a joy to chat with you. It's great that we get to talk now on a regular basis. You know, I mean, we do anyways, but now it's like Zoom. It's fun.
1: I know. I'm like, we text like every day, but to be able to sit down and have like this video chat with you is just, oh, it makes my heart so happy.
0: (laughs) Well, now these two tired mamas are going to go to bed and wind down for the day. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Cultivate podcast.